Audio. You don't want to constantly be doing easy climbs. So I guess part of me like, likes um, the struggle of like walking the climb, doing it. But then at the same time, it's nice, like especially in competition, sometimes it's nice to be like, oh, I did that climb pretty easily. Not necessarily because it was an easy climb, but because I climbed it well. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about beyond the fight with gravity. I am in the utility slash podcast closet right now, fighting a little bit of a cold, as you can probably hear in my voice, but the show must go on. Y'all need your content to help you level up your climbing and your training. So I am uh, drinking my tea and doing the best I can to get this episode out on time. And it's a good one. Today, we are chalking up for a chat with Canadian comp crusher Guy McNamee. Guy, along with his twin brother Kinder, who's also a comp crusher, was born in Haiti, raised in Canada, and has been a force in boulder and lead competitive climbing throughout his teen years, which he just only recently moved beyond. Guy is a seven times national champion, leveling up just a couple of weeks ago. Timely episode alert when he took the top spot as Canadian National Boulder Champion, and then, a few days later on his 20th birthday, took lead nationals as well. A happy birthday, indeed. As you'll hear in our chat, Guy is very focused on his training, but he's also a pretty normal 20-year-old. He's working at Starbucks to pay the bills, he's messing around with his brother and his friends, and all the while, he's keeping his eye on the long game in this sport he loves so much. I love saying his name, and we should all get used to hearing it, because the future is bright, for Guy McNamee. Well, I thought I was going to send my proj last week, y'all, but I didn't. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it is the closest I have ever gotten. I am now just one move from putting down the hardest grade I will have climbed, and all I need is a crisp day and sticky fingers. The weather, of course, I cannot control, but the sticky fingers I can because I am chalking up with Friction Labs, who are a generous sponsor here. You guys know who else uses Friction Labs chalk? Past guests of the struggle, including Alex Magos, Drew Mack, and Matt Fultz, among others, and if it's good enough for them, it is damn sure good enough for us. What's in it, you may ask? Well, magic. But let's talk about what's not in it. Fillers, rosin, and drying agents, they don't mess with that stuff, which means it lasts longer and keeps your skin healthy. Y'all, Friction Labs loves helping climbers to perform at their best. You can try it risk-free to see for yourself. That is how psyched they are to help you level up. Enter code STRUGGLE20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. The official gear sponsor here at The Struggle is Petzl. Y'all, not only have I been using Petzl gear for many, many years now, but I gear my kids up in their harnesses and helmets as well. That is how much I trust and love their stuff. Right now, as y'all know, I'm making send goes on the 12D Sport Proj, which means shaving ounces by strapping on my Harundos harness with fuse frame technology. Guys, it's light, it's comfy, and it's pretty badass looking. So whenever I tie in, it immediately puts me into battle mode in my mind. They are a really cool company, and I'm so grateful to have their support here at The Struggle. If you're looking to level up your harness game, Petzl has a variety of options for different climbing styles and objectives. Check them all out at your local gear shop, or pop by Petzl.com to access the inaccessible. 
And the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Struggle Climbing Show is Fizzy Vantage. Y'all, I've been a paying customer of Fizzy Vantage for a couple of years now, and this stuff is truly the best of the best. If you want to level up your training and your performance, I've been taking their supercharged collagen daily for tendon health, as well as their weapons-grade whey protein to support my training, and it has absolutely made a difference for me on the wall and in the gym, y'all. I've been able to train harder. My fingers have been able to stay healthier than they ever have in the past. And look, I'm just a weekend warrior, but when I see pros like Favia Dubik, Daniel Woods, Paige Clausen, and Taylor McNeil, along with more than 40 other top names in climbing, using FizzyVantage every single day, well, I know I'm in good company. If you're looking to join good company and get that extra edge in your training and your performance, then look no further. Hit that link in your show notes and use checkout code STRUGGLE15 to save 15% off any full-price nutrition order at FizzyVantage.com. I'm telling you, you're going to feel the difference. Swing by FizzyVantage.com to check it out. And lastly, a big thanks to the patrons of The Struggle, a community that is growing super fast. I just can't tell you how grateful I am for that. If you're not a patron, stick around after this interview to learn about all the cool stuff that you get for supporting the show. Thank you so much. All right, let's get to it. Now, just a little heads up that the audio connection here um, just wasn't quite as crisp on this one as we usually pride ourselves on here in the Struggle podcast slash utility closet. Perhaps there were some big solar flares happening at the time of this interview. I don't know, but thank you for your grace on that as we paddle dino our way into this chat with Guy McNamee. You just had a birthday. You're, is it 20 years old now? Yeah, 20. No longer a teenager. <laughs> no, no. No longer a teenager, winning nationals. Your future's bright, Guy, and I'm really excited to to jump in. I, I love talking about the accomplishments. I love talking about the wins, but this is the struggle climbing show. <laughs> we also like to talk about the struggle. And before we get specific and talk about training and performance and these kinds of things, what's your relationship with struggle as a climber? Um. I guess for me, um, struggle is basically anything that doesn't really come naturally for you and then something that you need to work towards. So I guess it's not necessarily like a bad thing. It's just that at first you struggle, so then you need to kind of work to it to improve. Do you enjoy the struggle? Do you like to try to push through it or do you seek ways around it? What's, um, like, what's, what's your method of handling struggle with, with climbing? I feel like there's like definitely difference sometimes where it's like, Often it's like struggle, maybe like I'm struggling to do this climb. Then it's like quite often I, I like um, the struggle as in like as climbers, you don't want to constantly be doing easy climbs, meaning like, oh, this is easy. But then it's like, so I guess part of, part of me like, likes um, the struggle of like walking the climb, doing it. But then at the same time, it's nice, like especially in competition, sometimes it's nice to be like, oh, I did that climb pretty easily. Not necessarily because it was an easy climb, but because... I climbed it well. So I guess um, with that, it's kind of guess a bit both. I guess a big one is asking yourself why you're doing this. Yeah, that's a great question to ask yourself, especially, you know, during the really hard times. So what what is your answer to that question? I guess um, I guess in the long run, I, I want to I become like the best climber that I can be. And um, I guess one thing I like to think about when maybe like I'm about to want to give up or something, um, how long is the discomfort of like doing one more move or as in, I feel like the discomfort 
rather than the disappointment of not trying right afterwards. Because afterwards you're always like, ah, I should have just went for it. And that lasts much longer than being like, oh, this is uncomfortable for a split second. So I think that that's part of it. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that. I, you know, I'm, I'm often right now, especially thinking about that exact kind of trade-off, that dynamic that you, you just noted there, kind of the, the short-term discomfort for the long-term fulfillment or, or reward. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like in, into the waning days of, of send season here at the Red and, you know, holidays are coming up and, and I've got friends meeting out at the bar and, um, you know, every excuse possible to not continue kind of staying disciplined and training and, and staying on track with my nutrition. But I'm, I'm trying to hold that concept that you just shared there, you know, in mind, like, yes, momentarily, it might be fun to just skip the gym session and, you know, meet up with my friends or, or I don't know, just like hang out on the couch and watch a bunch of movies. But um, you know, I feel like I'd regret it or I feel like if nothing else, the, the longer term satisfaction coming from like staying disciplined, sacrificing a bit, working hard, and then actually getting some results that I've been working so hard to achieve. Yeah. That, that's kind of what it's all about there. Of course, it's, um, sometimes easier said than done, but I, I want to peel more into that. I want to, I want to hear more about how you see that philosophy because i know you train and you work really hard with obviously fantastic results so let's just dive in let's start with training and uh and we'll go from there so training specifically let's talk about struggle where do you struggle or have you struggled with your training gi i think i'm like one thing that's like a big one for me and like a lot of um kind of primos is not necessarily the motivation or like like the motivation to to train but also having the right i guess quality of training as in, I feel like in Canada, especially, sometimes it's kind of difficult to, I'm like, go to the gym and being like, oh, I want to work on coordination or slab. And then your gym has one V2 slab. And you're like, oh, uh, now Or like, you want to work on coordination, like a big paddle down where you're like, the gym's never going to set something like that because it takes up too much space. The public doesn't really do that kind of stuff. And I guess I feel like that's kind of something that I found quite difficult to like, you know exactly what you want to do, but how do you actually make that happen with what you're supplied with? That's super interesting. I feel like for me, um, where I'm not a specialized climber, like, like you are, um, I'm, you know, I'm just like this average climber. Oftentimes I go to the gym and I'm able to seek out the things that I want to do that suit my style because they're there and they're in spades at V5 or whatever. There's rare, there's rarely something at the gym that I can't find. It's more me choosing not to do the things that I'm weak at. So like I choose not to do the slab. I choose not to do yeah. slopers because I'd rather do overhung pockets. Whereas you show up, you specifically want to try something to hone a skill, to work something that you'll need to, in order to excel in your comps. And then it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting because I would think some climbers have more access to that. I think about like the facilities yeah. in Salt Lake City yeah. where there's probably loads of paddle dyno, you mm-hmm. know, coordination type problems, whereas you don't have that. How do you manage that? I'm thinking about this specifically because one of the 
problems that you did in the most recent comp, the, the Canadian Nationals on, on Boulder, was like a really rad looking paddle dyno across like three volumes. Yeah, it was pretty fun. And it took you a bit. Like I could really see you working it out. It was really fun to, mm -hmm. to watch. And so that's a perfect example. It seems like typically at your gym, you're not going to see a problem like that. So how would you train for something like that? Um, I guess me, I, it's interesting. Um, when I go into the gym and train, I quite rarely actually try the problems that are set. Like there might be like one or two problems. I'm like, oh, this actually looks good and something that I can actually work on to get better. But most of the time I like, get find a hold here and like, oh, look, there's this hold. Maybe I can attempt to jump to here and do this kind of pattern. And it's quite a bit of kind of creativity and almost being your own root setter, which is like in some ways it's, it's kind of nice because I guess it teaches you a little bit of like, oh, the movement because you have to make it up yourself. And because you're making it up and, and sometimes the holes don't fit, often the moves don't go where you're like, oh, this hole's just too bad. This movement's off. And I think one thing that I learned is it's okay to make climbs that don't go. It's like, oh, this, this climb is just the movement's all wrong and it just doesn't go. But to look at it as an, even though this move can't go, I'm still learning from it. I'm like, I'm doing the best that I can to get as close to doing it as possible. And I think doing that has been quite helpful and also um, kind of root reading. Sometimes Kindle and I make up like imaginary problems where it's like, we're like, oh, imagine there's a toe hook here and you do this. Where is your body in space? What, what do you do? Like, we're like, okay, how much power do you need to use? Where are your hips? Where are your feet? And like that, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I, I can see how that type of exercise not only would work out the body, but it would also work out the mm -hmm. mind, this this creativity and the problem solving. And so just so I'm understanding, this isn't on like, say like a spray wall, you're just actually walking up to the set boulder problems, mm -hmm. but it exactly. might be a, a V2 and a V7 and a V4 and a V6, um, all kind of slammed together in different colors. And then you're essentially picking and choosing certain holds from those overlapping problems to create what would be your own problem. Exactly. Yeah. That's really cool. You know, I just recently heard Chris Hampton um, on the Power Company podcast specifically talking about how um, he doesn't understand why more boulderers don't go to the gym and make up their own problems or yeah. more route climbers don't go to the gym and see a uh, a 510, a 512, and a 5.11 and, and pick and choose certain holds from it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because we're so used to going in and, and just grabbing the same color hold or something mm -hmm. like that. But that sounds like a really worthwhile exercise. Mm -hmm. And I'm also really interested to learn a little bit more about how, about your saying, you know, sometimes you'll create a problem, you know, maybe it's a V seven that you're trying to create or whatever it may be, but that it just doesn't go, but there's still value from that you say. And so is the value in the physical, like you're still pulling hard, you're still trying hard, or is it in the mental in that you tried something new and you couldn't quite make it work, but there's still benefit from it? Where, where is the value? Do you think coming, coming up with a problem that doesn't quite work? I think um, for me, it's more mental than physical, just in the way of like you you really kind of guess start to more understand kind of the movement and how your body works. Whereas like 
you're doing a climb, you're like, oh, I'm trying to do a toe hook catch. And like, imagine like in reality, the, the hold's actually like really, really small. And obviously that's not possible, but you're like, okay, let's try to kind of do the toe, you know, jump to a hold and swing, and then try to imagine kicking this forward. So that's, you're not going to be able to toe hook this really small hold, but your body is in the right position. So if the hold was bigger, you'd theoretically be able to catch it. Got yeah. it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So you're meeting a struggle of of not having comp style set boulder problems at your gym that suit what you want to work on by creating your own. And even if you can't fully create your own, you're still going through some of the positioning and some of the momentum and swings that would essentially kind of emulate some of those moves. So you are getting that training stimulus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think that's really cool. And I also think it could apply to like myself or, or those of us who are uh, predominantly outdoor climbers. And maybe there's a crux move on a boulder or on a route that you want to work on. You could go in and you, you could pick and choose what's on this wall. It doesn't have to be on a moon board. It can be on the same angle that you're working, vert or slab or cave. And it's three or four different routes that are set by the setters in that area. And you've got a whole spray wall essentially just in front of you there at the gym on the set problems. Uh, not necessarily on the actual quote-unquote spray wall that's over in a different room, or at least it is in my gym. And then, um, but then you can pick and choose. You can actually um, simulate, you can recreate your crux by picking and choosing the holds that are um, as part of the set boulder problems there, um, like you're saying you're doing there with your brother often. And even if the move doesn't go or the route doesn't go, that doesn't matter because you're getting the training stimulus from it. So I, I love that, man. I think that's really, really wise advice for all of us who are listening right now. And what about rest? Um, you're obviously young, you just turned 20. So relatively speaking, it's a, it's a pretty young training age. Um, you may not need as much rest as myself or some of our listeners, but you're training really hard and you want to perform at peak. So how do you look at rest and how do you program your training accordingly? I guess only like full rest day is Wednesdays. And that's a full rest day? Like, like you're not no. doing... Like, you know, like we just um like we stretch watch movies <laughs> just like chill and then um all the other days like we only climb like five days a week but then i guess um in terms of resting sometimes it's good to be like okay what are you resting and like okay like maybe like you can't do like five days in a row of moonboarding because then you like wreck your fingers but you can do one day of um finger strength and then maybe the next day is like mostly slab and technique where you're not using so much of your fingers. And then the next day you can go back to um, finger strength. So that kind of means that maybe the middle day you're resting sort of in the way of like you're resting your fingers. And then another day might just be a conditioning day. So you're just like doing pull-ups and squats and things like that. So I think, I guess rest can like, I guess in some ways, like just like the full rest, you're not doing anything. And then there's like the rest of like, you're resting different parts of your body. All right, Guy, let's talk about nutrition now. And are there any areas here where you've struggled or, or what are you most focused on with regard to your nutrition right now? I guess um, I feel like like right now, I feel like my nutrition is like pretty good. I've gotten a handle on that. I feel like it was more when I was maybe a bit younger, like 13 or 14 maybe. Well, that was, I guess, like I was kind of skinny, I guess, back then, just like a skinny 13 foot, you know, who was just like, you know, climbing 
climbing a lot. And, but the, yes, that was like around the time where I started weightlifting and kind of training a bit harder. And for me to feel my body, I guess, change, I guess, in that way. So it was like getting bigger, like heavier. And then I guess I was like, maybe I weighed myself. I'm like, oh, I'm this, this weight, I'm like 110 pounds or something. And then I'm like, maybe like a month or two later, I'm like, oh shit, I'm getting heavier and heavier. And like, as at that young age, I guess wanted to almost like just stay at the same weight. Yeah. Especially for youth who are used to, yeah, just kind of floating up walls, you know, being, being very, very light. I can understand. Um, I think that's where some real struggles can come with disordered eating and in that, um, especially kind of in the comp circuit Yeah, for you, it sounds like you accepted that that was kind of the natural course of, um, getting older and, and getting stronger. And ultimately it obviously has benefited your climbing, right. To, to, to build muscle and to, you know, as you go from a boy to a man, you're, you're just getting bigger and stronger. Of course, you're going to weigh more, but you're going to be able to be much stronger than you've ever been. Did you change your diet at all? Like as you got into your kind of later teen years and, no. and now even we could just focus on kind of like the current, like what's your diet like? What are, what are things that you, that you have to do in order to stay on track with developing the muscle that you want or the tendon strength and that kind of thing? Like, interestingly enough, I don't really do that much. Like um, when I was younger, I can't, I stopped eating sugar for like two years. I think I was like maybe nine to like 12 or Something like that. That's hard um, for a nine to 12 year old to give up I mean, sugar. Yeah. And it was just like, stop doing Halloween and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, wow. And then like somewhere after that, I was like, I, I miss ice cream and cake and I'm going to, I'm just going to go back to it. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting experiment to run as a, you know, 10 year old. What do things look like now, Guy, uh, with your diet specifically and you know, I know you travel a lot for comps. Um, obviously, you're training super, super hard. Do you have a disciplined diet? Uh, do you kind of prescribe to any sort of specific type of nutritional plan? I'm really relaxed with it. Eat peanut butter and meat, eggs, <laughs> cheese. Um, and I I think as like a competitor who like travels a lot, I, I really like that since like some countries or it's so hard to be like vegan or vegetarian. Like when I was in Korea, they have like meat or like meat substances in basically every meal. So I think to like have like a really restricted diet as a traveling competitor would be like, I feel like it'd be more detrimental for me than beneficial. But it's like, I, I, I eat and like, I, I guess I really just let my body tell me if it's happy or not. And I'm like, oh, I'm eating enough. I'm, Happy, I, I try to eat, I guess, not too many, like too much like red meat or anything, but like, like mostly like maybe chicken or like some tofu or peanut butter, but that kind of protein. Yeah. I feel like Which, maybe if I get older, I might have to maybe pay attention to it a little bit more, but right now I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with it. Yeah. You could probably just eat whatever you want right now. Um, you're, you're working so hard and you're young, so. It's just like fuel is is almost all fuel. What I'm curious, what country that you visited has had the best meals? Which one can you not wait to get back to? Mm. I really liked Korea. It was exotic. <laughs> it was like definitely quite different than what I was um, guess used to. Like the meals here, it was like lots of lots of spices. As in, if you're if you don't like spicy food, then maybe don't go there. <laughs> but like. 
just quite like even they had like even their breakfasts were like they had like kimchi and like they were like fish eggs type of stuff and noodles at the breakfast um buffet and it was like it was definitely quite a different experience oh yeah man they know how to put flavor into everything but you just there's no bland food i don't feel no. like in in korea it's just got all the pow to it that's good man well is there um is there uh, uh, a focus that you have like specifically on like a certain number of grams of protein that you're trying to hit a day or, or anything like that like are you focused on macros or i just listen to my body as in like even like i'm not even like sure how many calories i eat a day as in like i like i'm guessing maybe around 2500 or something that'd be like an estimate but like I, I mean, <laughs> listen to your body eat what you want don't count calories man gee i'm i like your diet dude i'm gonna i am now prescribing to the gee McNamee diet let's talk about tactics now gee and i, I really want to look at this through the comp lens and specifically you just won both boulder and lead at uh, canadian nationals which is awesome and and the lead climbing you it was kind of a surprise. It was kind of a surprise win for you. And I'm really fascinated with lead climbing tactics because you've got this huge route. You've got all sorts of different sections and moves and you get a little time, I think, right, to to view the route or view somebody climbing the route. But tactically speaking, you have, you kind of have to step up and it's all about flashing it. And that is very different than predominantly like the type of climbing that I do or in, in outdoor climbing where Sometimes a flash is important, but but more times than not, you can really take all the time you want to work things out. So tactically speaking, I, I'd love to hear how you look at lead climbing in in the competitive circuit. There's so many different tactics. As in, I used to try to memorize the whole route because yeah, so in in competition you get like a preview video of somebody doing the climb, so you can know all the moves. So you watch the person do the video, and then you compare it to the to actually to the climb itself. But I found that it was too much for me to like try to keep all that information, like 40 holds in my head. The first 10 moves, you just do like really quickly and you're like, oh, okay, that was not that important. And I guess usually the climbing is quite instinctual. So you're not really thinking that much about what you're doing. So it's better to just look at like the parts that scare you or intimidate you and kind of just basically looking at the crux moves and the parts that you're a little unsure about and just kind of guess having a beta or two. Right, that makes sense. So just like not getting overwhelmed with literally trying to memorize every move on the route, but um, utilizing that time to preview, to, to really focus in on the crux, on the rest, maybe some sections that you want to spend uh, a little more time on. Uh, so going into it, you're, you're going to want to have a plan and then I guess what happens then after qualifiers? Then semis and finals, we do, because it's six minutes to preview. So the first two minutes, we look at the route. Um, and we, we look at it in like hyperspeed kind of, just like, like moving our hands like really, really fast. And just like sometimes you might see people previewing, they're just like waving their hands around everywhere. The first two minutes, we look at the route, just kind of basically getting an idea of like where the holds are and like what the moves are very quickly. And then the next two minutes, we look at the sipping positions and the resting positions throughout the whole group. And then the last two minutes, we we look at the cracks and the point that maybe we didn't quite have time to 
fully understand. And it's just super impressive how honed that skill can get. I, I can just imagine how um, beneficial that would be for like myself going outside and trying to on-site or flash a route where, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to take some time to look at something or if it's a flash, like watch some videos of the route on YouTube and see where people are clipping, see where they're resting and then be able to internalize that. Typically for me, I'll, I'll do that and then I'll get out there and it just all goes out the window after I pull the first couple moves. But it sounds like for you, you know, you've really honed that skill of being able to focus on what matters most. And I like that, man. I think I think there's more crossover to comp climbing and, and outdoor climbing than maybe there seems at, at first glance. And, and this is like a perfect example of that, something that I'm gonna practice a little bit more just even when I'm at the gym. All right, Guy, let's uh, paddle dino our way into the mental game chapter here. And you kind of mentioned um, a, a couple things through, throughout our chat here. One was specific to lead and just like a fear of falling that, that comes with lead climbing. I want to peel back on that struggle. You also had a post recently about a boulder that you were working on, a boulder problem in a comp where you said there were kind of two ways to do it. There was the right way and there was the safe way. And it looked like it kind of there was a bit of an exposed body position that you were putting yourself in where where the fall could be a little bit awkward. So yeah, let's talk about maybe falling as our, our first step into the mental game here. I guess there's like two kind of aspects where it's like quite often when you're climbing or doing a dyno, it's mostly in your head. Um, I guess the scariness where it's like usually the root setters and the, the mats and the ropes are going to make sure that you're safe. So with that aspect, it's mostly just about yeah, repetition. You know, like consciously, you're not going to die. But then the subconscious part of your brain, I guess, doesn't get that message. So for it to kind of get known, you almost just need to like do it over and over and over again. So like if you're afraid of, le of dinoing, which is a common thing, you just need to like do it, do it a lot. <laughs> yeah, just like that exposure therapy um, type thing, which is something that I that I implemented, you know, myself for, for a fear of falling, um, especially when I went from trad climbing on slab to you know, really steep climbing um, in sport was was a little bit of like that exposure therapy. Is it harder though, or there is there more pressure when you know there's just a huge audience watching when when the stakes are higher? I guess one thing like sometimes you feel pressure from other people. The pressure from other people is never going to be as much as the pressure that you put on yourself. I guess it's almost like a weird kind of case where it's like the more you want it, the more stressed you're going to be. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I feel that on my climbs as well. Like, you know, whether I'm at the gym or outside, I can't even tell you how many times I've been surprised that I've sent something because I just didn't care. Like I, I didn't um, either think it would go or maybe I was just, you know, fooling around and didn't um, care if I sent or not. And is that kind of what happened with you most recently um, when you won the, the lead nationals? The lead, I... Hey, obviously, it would have been nice to do well, but I guess I wasn't expecting to since that wasn't my main training focus. And I guess that was helpful for me. Um, just to be like going into it, just being like, oh, have fun, chatting with boys and chilling. But then it's like, you need to train really hard. And I guess the harder you train and the more like important the comp is, the, the harder it's going to be to kind of, I guess, find the, the balance of like just being okay and calm. And one thing I like to, um, I guess, do is when there's like a really big comp, looking at 
each, I guess, reality. Where it's like, okay, let's say you fall apart, you don't do as well as you wanted to. What's the worst? Thing? Like, like, what's the worst thing that could happen if you didn't perform? Like, if you didn't do it? Let's say I didn't make semis. That that would be sad. That really sucks. And then you're going to be sad. But there's always another comp that you can attempt to redeem yourself. Every competition adds to the pyramid and strengthens it, gets it bigger, taller, and just more steady. So I feel like in that way, no one competition is going to destroy the pyramid of like confidence or success. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's an interesting way of um, looking at things. It's kind of a new perspective because oftentimes us climbers, we we talk about building a pyramid in terms of grades, right? You know, you, you, you do so many V2s before you start working on V3s and then you build a base of those and then you kind of build the pyramid up to V4s. And, and, and you know, the pyramid is always just like thought of in, in terms of, of grades. But what you're talking about here is uh, it's different. It's, it's kind of goes beyond that. It's a pyramid of, of experiences, I guess, right? Like they could be positive or challenging. It could be a comp win or not making finals. That's still a block that is building that pyramid, right? It's like these collection of experiences that will take you to new heights in, in your career. I think that's that's kind of a cool perspective, Guy, to look at. And, it's, and that's a really good way for us actually to transition, I think, into our last chapter here, which is talking about what comes next. Um, you're building this pyramid now of experiences. Your, your career is red hot. I mean, you're performing very, very strongly. So where do you see yourself uh, in a year, in five years, 10 years? It's kind of difficult to, I guess, look into like way into the future. But like, I guess I want to be almost like a, like a big like competitive climber and like hopefully like make that almost like a career kind of. And then, yeah, for me, climbing is definitely one of like my main likes. So I, I think it's like, it, it's definitely one of the main things that I feel defines me. So I, yeah, I guess looking into the future, five years, I hope I'm still climbing, improving. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I mean, it's, there's such an exciting road ahead for you um, and you're incredibly dedicated. So I'm excited to continue to follow along. At the same time, you're a regular guy who's climbing and performing at the highest levels, but also starting to create just, you know, a normal life, right? You, you're working at Starbucks, you're paying the bills. Um, what, what is it like, what do you do for fun outside of climbing? I guess like, I like um, writing. My brother and I are like writing a lot. What kind of writing do you all do? Um, we like kind of doing like fictional writing, like kind of story, story writing, novel kind of writing, and it was kind of something that we've been doing kind of for kind of a while. Um, we like we used to like write little novels, kind of just, and then it was kind of something that a few years ago we um I guess started kind of picking picking up again. So we've kind of looked at some of the old things that we've written and almost like making like newer, better editions of them. So that's definitely something that we're quite into. The opposite of getting out and trying hard as a rock climber mm -hmm. is sitting down yeah. and using your using your mind to tell stories. That's cool. My wife is a writer, so um, that's uh, that's great that that's an interest of, of your all's. What about uh, getting outside? Um, I know your focus is is very much on comp climbing and it's it's highly specialized. So there probably isn't a whole lot of crossover there, but are there certain areas or climbs that you've got on the wish list that you're excited to get out and do and try when the time is right? Yeah, as in, I, I feel like like this year, I didn't really get much of a chance to climb outdoors. I think I climbed a little bit at the beginning of this year. And then I 
it'll be nice to hopefully next year after like maybe some world cups and things have maybe like a few weeks of time before like of like rest before i um start training for the next year again um to like go outdoors with some friends and try some old projects it's i feel like that's the really cool thing about outdoor climbing is the climb's always there and it's it's quite easy to see improvement you come back a year or two later and then you're like i can get this climb back. wow nice so it'll be and i feel like i've made quite a bit of strides in like finger strength and kind of just like overall climbing so it'd be nice to be able to try go outdoors and try some of the things again that is an interesting thing to think about that i don't often think about but the hard climbs that you get on are gone after a weekend uh mm-hmm. you know they're set and they just disappear but for the yeah. videos of them so unless you're going to be very dedicated to find somebody to reset a, mm-hmm. a problem that stopped yeah. you um it's hard to get redemption but it's easy yeah. to get redemption on outdoor climbs mm-hmm. you train you come back and you give it hell what, what advice would you have for listeners out there who, you know, some of our younger listeners who are, are really psyched on comp climbing and that world for yourself, you've been in it for, for quite some time now, a, a decade about, um, you're, you're basically an old veteran when it comes to comp climbing for people who are interested in that. And even if it's just on an amateur basis, just doing local comps at the local gym, what takeaways do you have or what advice do you have for people who are psyched on that style of climbing? Try to, like, you know, when you compete, go into competition, um, sometimes it can be intimidating to be like, oh, now I'm being ranked and competing against other people. But most like, climbing communities, they're extremely friendly. And it's sometimes it's almost not like you're competing. It's almost like you're just kind of, especially um, youth climbers who are just like beginning Daft can just be like, oh, sharing beta and kind of having fun with it. And I think as a youth competitor, almost don't try to treat it too much like a really big competition and just treat it as like going on some like really fun, quite different problems than you normally would in training or outdoors. And just like having that experience, being a part of the community, just having fun. And I think that's something that I did quite a bit like when I was forced competing. It, it almost didn't feel like a competition i was just like going there i was like cool fun clients i can't wait to try them and then i progressed i definitely treated it more seriously but when you when you begin you you don't need to treat it that serious it's good advice for for people who are starting as well as even people who are at the top of the game like you are sometimes it's good to not treat it too seriously mm-hmm. we can just go out there and have some fun well look gee congratulations i mean happy birthday taking top spots in boulder and leeds at canadian nationals the the sky's the limit for you man i'm i'm really grateful for your time here today and i cannot wait to see what this next year is going to hold for you thank you thank you again for coming on the show man yeah thanks for having me And that wraps up our chat with a rising star in the comp world, Guy McNamee. What did you all think of the combo? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram, at Guy McNamee, at Ryan Devlin Outside, and at The Struggle Climbing Show. Now, in a second, I'll share my takeaways, as I always do, and hook you up with some swag. But first, let's support the brands that are supporting the struggle. Shout out to Fizzy Vantage for being the official climbing nutrition sponsor of The Struggle. Try their supercharged collagen and weapons-grade whey protein if y'all are looking to stay strong, healthy, and train at your peak. I personally love this stuff, as I do all of their science-backed products, 
Look for it in Europe from the Epic TV online shop and here in the U.S. at select gyms and, of course, at fizzyvantage.com. Hit that link in your show notes or use code STRUGGLE15 at checkout for 15% off. Also, the psych is high for the ultralight, strong, and comfy Harundos harness by Petzl, which is what I'm sporting as I make my Sengos on my proj, which I know is going down next session, or the following, or maybe in the springtime. You know what? Who knows? I don't care. It's fun to take whips, and my Petzl gear keeps me comfy and safe. You guys, swing by your local gear shop to check out the Harundos or all of the other harnesses that Petzl makes. Access the inaccessible at Petzl.com. And lastly, check out Friction Labs, y'all. It's what top athletes use and trust for dependable, long-lasting grip. My personal favorite is their Gorilla Grip, which kind of has these little chunks in there that I meditatively crush up as I'm resting on route. They got a flavor for everybody, so just pop over to FrictionLabs.com and use code STRUGGLE20 for 20% off your first order. Chalk up less and climb more with Friction Labs. All right, so the big takeaways for me here as a predominantly outdoor sport climber is that I can use comp training and tactics to help me level up in my own style of climbing. I am especially psyched to implement Guy's suggestion of creating my own routes from the set problems at my gym. I definitely personally have the habit of just kind of following the set problems and routes that are there, but I am going to work my mind as well as my body by creating unique moves and cruxes from anything on the wall. I'll let you know how that goes. And if you do the same, share your video and tag me and Guy on Instagram so that we can check it out. Well, that clips the anchors on this episode. Muchos besos to all of the new patrons out there. This community is growing so fast. I really can't believe it. I'm so, so grateful. Whether you're here for the pro clinics, like our recent mind-blowing masterclass on training finger speed with Tyler Nelson, or maybe you're here for like the cool swag, or just because you want to support me with some caffeine or some beer as I grind away here in the podcast slash utility closet. Thank you. Thank you doing it. I have got some more really cool stuff coming your way soon here. So if you're not a patron, would you consider becoming a patron? I'm hustling pretty hard here. I'd be really grateful for your support if you have the means to spare a few bucks each month. I promise you that I will spend it wisely on more caffeine and more beer so that I can keep delivering great content to help you train and climb smarter, harder, and happier. Swing on over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show to check it all out. Thank you. I love you. The Struggle is Carbon Neutral in partnership with the Honold Foundation, who are partnering with marginalized communities to expand equitable solar energy access. Y'all, this is an organization and a team who are highly efficient, and your support will make the world a better place. Cut them a year-end tax-deductible donation if you can, or become a monthly donor like me. And that money will make numerous projects happen, including a rooftop solar system to Limitless Horizons Ichil, which is a STEM-focused school for indigenous girls in Guatemala. How rad is that? Pop on over to HonoldFoundation.org to learn more and to take action. Lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin. The struggle makes us stronger. Let's climb hard and do good things in the world.